Good morning, everyone. It's definitely not the Hendrik show. I promise you that. Um, just to clarify, um, that was uh, not a, a tongue board. That was just praying um, in the spirit this morning. God is so faithful. Amen. I really am excited to stand here today, although I am a bit nervous as well. Okay. But that's okay. It's always good to be a little bit nervous when you are here, when you are bringing the Lord's word. I really feel I have something that's on my heart that the Lord has placed on my heart for, for quite a while. And just as I am myself growing and continuing to search Him and to follow Him, to, to read Scripture and just to hear God's voice and His purpose in my life, I'm always drawn to this fact of worship. And, and that is why um, I probably enjoy standing behind the guitar more than here, but although this is part of it. Worship is not just music, and I feel the Lord is really telling me um, to bring a message today, which is not so much, um, I'm going to share about servant worship, by the way, if you can't read that, I made it extra big for those at the back, um, but I'm going to share on servant worship, and the more I come to, to learn about worship and what worship means in my life, the more I see worship is so much more than this. Worship is so much more than this, than what we do here today. So I'm not going to share of what worship means for a believer today. More, I'm going to lean more to what God's heart and character is for us when it comes to worship. But before I do, I just want to pray for us. Father, we thank you for your presence yet again, Lord. Just, we cannot say it enough, Father, that we are so privileged to be in your presence. Holy Spirit, we welcome you and we, we thank you for being here with us. And we pray that our ears will be open, that our hearts will be open to receive your truth today. May we hear from your word, Lord. Nothing else, not of man, no fresh revelation of man, Lord, but may it be a word from God today unto your people. In Jesus' name we pray that. Amen. So as I said this morning, um, I'm not going to share so much of the definition of worship, but God's heart and character towards worship. And the more, as I said, the more I, I understand, uh, seek this concept of worship in Scripture, the more I, I study it, the more I come to realize the word serve should be used synonymously with the word worship. It should be used in conjunction. So when we say the word worship, that should actually be the second nature of what's coming up. It's something that we do to serve. And we, we're going to unpack this and we're going to see what Scripture reveals about that. This morning we sang a beautiful old hymn. Um, and I want you guys to sing it with me. We sang, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul. Joy, my in what you hear, may it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. You see, we don't need a band, that was beautiful, simple in its words. 
it, it so powerfully illustrates the believer's heart towards reverent worship unto the Father. Nothing more. In today's self-serving, self-focused culture that we live in, it's so easy for us to go into certain aspects, to go into certain transactions, to go into certain um, conversations where we try to see how we benefit from it. What can I get out of this? And if we're not careful, if we do not seek God's understanding and we do not apply it in our lives to what worship really is in our lives, that concept of self-focused, self-seekingness can infiltrate our worship unto Him, which, if you did not know by now, is a life. It's a way of life. Worship is not just music. In Matthew 4, verse 10, we read, and this is where Jesus gets tempted in the, in the wilderness, and, and as He's speaking to the devil, He says, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. Today I want us to look at this concept of what it means to have servant worship. The first aspect I'm looking at is God's call for us to worship Him. We were called to worship Him, to serve Him. And the scripture that I want to share from is in Exodus 7. And it's from verse, six, uh, from verse 14. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. When he goes out of the water, and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him, and the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, so they may serve me in the wilderness. A few times Moses utters that phrase, which God told him to say to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may serve me in the wilderness. And every time I read this, this part in scripture, there's always this new thing coming up in my heart. There's just so much more to that phrase than just saying, free my people. There is so much depth in that. And when we look at that word serve, let my people go so they may serve me in the wilderness. The Hebrew root word for that word serve literally means, I'm not going to pronounce it, but it literally means to be enslaved, to be in bondage or in servant to, to become a servant and to become a worshiper. Now, it sounds upside down because God's people are already in slavery, in bondage. In servitude of a Pharaoh with a hardened heart. Why is he calling them to serve? Which is the same meaning. Let my people go so that they may serve me in the wilderness. God's intention for his people was never to be under oppression. To ne to never to be under oppression and in bondage to a Pharaoh with a hardened heart. And he did not call his people out of that to be in the same kind of oppression. And bondage. He called his people to be in subjection and in servitude of him. To glorify him. To serve him. To worship him. Now we know after the situation, the situational context of the Israelites, what happened to them and how God provided for them. He made a way for them through the waters. He provided a way for them through the sea. And we even sang it this morning 
And if you're going to get a, a sermon from a worship leader, you're going to get references to the songs. I love to go to the songs. But we sang it this morning, that fast song, Praises the waters that my enemies drown in. You see, God made a way for his people to be freed, and he took care of the enemies in the water. Why? Because he saw their affliction. He saw their need. He saw their oppression. He made a way for them. He made a way for them through the wilderness. He went with them by day and by night. He provided for their every needs, their hunger, their thirst. He did the miracles. He was the one that's with them always. His presence went with them always. You see, as God's people, we are called from that life, from that oppression. We are called into freedom to labor and to provide just service unto him. To serve and worship him and him only. See, Jesus, even being tempted in the wilderness himself, relied on that promise. And he stood firm on that command. As we continue to read scripture, we see as it progresses, and it's, it's beautiful just how the gospel um, from the Old Testament up and to, through the New Testament, just how the gospel intertwines with all aspects of serving God and worshiping him. And we see that here again. As we see God's call to worship him through his son. Now I want to give you some background. In Luke 1, um, there's this, this part of, in Luke 1 where we read about Zechariah. Now, for those of you that do not know, Zechariah was married to Elizabeth. She was uh, advanced in age as well. But more than that, he was the father of John the Baptist or soon to be John the Baptist. Now, Zechariah was a priest. And as he was serving, an angel visited him. And told him that his wife will bear a son, and he's going to be the one that is going to prepare the way for the coming king and Messiah, the redemption of mankind. He, in his unbelief, said, how is this possible? And he was struck mute up until the eighth day after the birth of his son, when it was the eighth day of his circumcision, he believed. As they asked to name the child, which was custom in, in those days was to name the child after the father. But he said, no, the angel said, his name is going to be John. He wrote it down. And because of his belief, again, we read in scripture that his tongue was loosened. And immediately after his tongue was loosened, Zechariah started to prophesy. He started to prophesy about this coming king. He started to prophesy about this um, salvation, this savior that, the, that God has sent for mankind. And we're going to read from Luke 1, verse 67 to 75. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abram, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. Verse 74 again, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear 
See, the working of God in Zechariah's life elicits this prophetic proclamation of the coming king, the coming Messiah. It's a two-part. He first speaks of, of God's plan for man sending his son. And then after that, he speaks about his son, John the Baptist, who will make the way. But Zechariah's response, um, prophetic response, reveals to us our rightful response to this promised salvation that is going to come our enemies that is going to deliver us from our enemies and it tells us this perfect rightful response how we as believers should respond here we see that word serve again and this time the greek word yeah it actually means a hired person a menial to minister to god that is to relent, uh, to render a religious homage to the lord to serve and do the service of a worshiper. Again, we see that connotation with worship. Because of this liberation of mankind from bondage of, of oppression and because of God's plan redeeming us from sin, saving us from sin, that life and death resurrection of Jesus Christ, our response is to bring homage to Him. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. But that means to bring honor, to bring him respect, reverence, recognition, to give him acclamation through servant worship for the rest of our lives. It gives us an indication of what worship might look like in heaven one day. Zechariah prophesies this response to God's plan for man. He prophesies how we should respond to that in reverent worship, bringing honor and reverence and acclamation to him. Now, I don't know about you, but if we start living our lives like that, if we start worshiping God like that, it's going to look a lot like, more like heaven on earth. We keep saying we want that on earth as it is in heaven. The way we worship will look different if that is our heart's response. And we continue through scripture, we see God's call for us to worship at work through his Holy Spirit. And Romans 12 verse 1 to 2, and I'm reading from the New King James Version here, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Paul yeah, encourages us as believers in response to God's mercy towards us, in response to God's merciful plan for man, making a way for us through the wilderness, bringing us out of the darkness into light through His Son, the atoning sacrifice of His Son. Because of this, in light of God's mercies, because of all those things, we are to respond with an everlasting adoration and worship to the Lord. Because of this, we are to respond in offering our bodies, our complete self, everything that we are, everything that exists within us. Not conforming to the ways and thought patterns of this world. Focused on a kingdom mindset of heaven. Because of all that, we are to respond in worship. Interestingly enough, again, yeah, 
and I, I, I went to look at all these definitions of, of service. That word service there, you can just bring that scripture up again. It says service, there we go. Reasonable service. Interesting enough, that word service here is literally translated to the sacred service or worship of God. And the word reasonable there, I highlighted it, it's actually translated to the Greek word logicus. And I'm sure many of you knows what that means. Logic. It's translated to logical or rational thinking. In other words, our response to God's saving grace, this is what Paul's telling us, our response to God's saving grace for us should be giving ourselves completely, our whole bodies, unto the sacred service and worship of Him, which is the logical or the right thing to do. That is worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Romans 12 verse 1 from the ESV version, it actually says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. Worship is a spiritual act. It's not just a physical or a religious thing that we do. It's so much more than that. It involves our hearts. It involves our wills. It involves our, our minds. It's not bound to a specific time of the week, to a specific day, to a specific venue. But it's more than that. And it should encompass our very being, our very existence, who we are. You see, all that we are, we are that is our worship. We are to live lives laid down to the service of Christ. In John 4, verse 23 to 24, we read of, um, this is where Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman, and, and after she realized who Jesus is, he tells her this. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, some context, and many of you know this, but the Samaritans at that time worshipped on a mountain, Mount Gerizim, and the Jews worshipped in Jerusalem. And the lady tells the story to Jesus, but Jesus said, there is going to be a time when man's worship is not going to be bound to a specific time or a specific place. It's not going to matter so much where we worship or when we worship, but what is going to matter is going is the attitudes of our hearts and minds when we worship. That is what the Father is after. You see, Jesus' fulfillment of his earthly ministry brought upon this incredible, incredible privilege, this incredible reality of spirit and truth worship for us as his children. Our worship is not supposed to be reduced to, to religious or ceremonial acts or gatherings it is supposed to be a continuous thought process a continuous way of living it's a spiritual response to god's holy spirit which resides in us it's a response and it's an honest and obedience response spiritual response to god's word his world and his will for us As we continue, we see God's call to worship at work in our lives. Now, the question I want to ask us this morning, 
is how do we worship the Lord? How do we see worship? We've established that worship is a service or it requires a servant commitment unto the Lord. What does our worship look like today? It's something I constantly ask myself as well. What does my worship look like? Where are my thoughts? Where is my heart at in my time of worship? I heard this story the other day, and it took me quite back a bit. It's not a long story. It's a really short story. But imagine this for a few moments. Imagine you leave your house in the morning, and you're off to work or wherever it is that you go. And as you leave your house, you drive, and you realize something, and you turn the car around, and you go back home. Because you just realized you forgot your Bible at home. Now I'm sure for many, that might not make sense. But for me, and for those that really search God's heart, the more we get to know God, the more we get to, know, to, to go deeper in what the Lord has for us when it comes to worship and a way of worship, how many of us would turn around and go fetch our Bibles? I'm so aware of the fact that this thing is consuming so much of my time, so much of my resources, so much of my, in, of my energy. And sometimes I'm so aware of the fact that I've got God's word on here, buried amongst thousands of other apps and infinite things of this world. This might be the only scripture that I have with me. So aware of the fact that this thing is consuming so much of my time. Where are we spending our time? Where are we spending our resources? What's consuming our worship? If we sing songs and we pray, let your kingdom come, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. But do we as light bearers, as those called to be the salt and light in this dark world, do we carry that mandate? of servant worship in our lives. If we declare every knee will bow, if I declare every knee will bow and every tongue confess, do I bow, do I confess? It's just something that I say. Does my life reflect a life surrendered to the cross, a life surrendered to the saving grace of what God has done for us, a life that responds to who God is? Or do I just serve myself? Do we serve God the way He intended us to serve Him? But it's not all doom and gloom. Scripture encourages us. In Colossians 3, verse 23, we read, Whatever you do, work heartily at it as for the Lord and not for men. Galatians 5:13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58 we read, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And I threw this one in this morning. I just felt the Lord place it on my heart. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. We were saved for a reason. We were rescued with a purpose. 
to serve the Lord, to walk in this freedom. God's word encourages us that we were not only called to freedom, but we were called to serve him knowing that it is not for nothing. A second chance with a purpose. Now, in this life, in this life we are blessed with amazing environments of worship like this. We are blessed with amazing bands. We are blessed with incredible preachers and sermons. We are blessed with amazing visuals, venues like this. But my question today is, does the sound, look and feel of our worship environments dictate the depth of our devotion to the Lord? Or are our hearts bowed to Him irrespective of what's going on around us? See, when we face trials of many kinds, many of us facing challenges, when we are facing these things, are we bound to fear? Are we bound to doubt? Are we bound to strive for regret? Or are we standing in God's reverence, in awe, and in His service, ready to serve Him, to bring Him glory and honor amidst what is going on around us? Scripture promises us it is not in vain. A life of serving God requires a life of holiness. It requires obedience and it requires faith. Pastor Anis preached so powerfully last week on, on what it means to have faith. And that word came this morning, to have faith in the Lord. But a life of worship unto the Lord does not require perfection. No one is perfect. But it's a life that requires surrender. I want us all just to close our eyes for a few moments and I'm going to ask the band to come up. Lord, this morning we just come before you and we just say, we surrender unto you. Lord, we bring our hearts before you today. We bring our minds before you today and we ask, Lord, that you will come and have your way in us. Maybe where there are places, maybe you've reminded us of some places in our lives where we really just missed the, missed the point of what it is to worship you. I pray, Lord, that today you will come and strengthen us to worship you irrespective of what's going on around. To have the word serve synonymous with the word worship, Lord. As we draw into your presence, Lord. As we minister unto you, Lord. As we bring you holy reverence. As we feel today, Lord, we come to you and we ask forgiveness, Father, if there are areas in our lives where we have worshipped you for our gain. we sang this morning, may it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Lord, may our worship be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. 
morning, I just want to, I want to pray for two areas. First of all, while all our eyes are closed, if there's anyone here today that wants a life surrendered to the Lord completely, to hold on to all that He has promised for us, to let go of our old lives, our old sinful ways of living, and to step into a life of worshiping the Lord. If that is you today and you want to make that commitment of accepting Him into your heart, into your life, I want you to just quickly raise your hands for a few seconds. Just keep going. You can put them down again. Lord, we thank you for those hands. We thank you for those responses and we we thank you for the hearts that responded to the call of walking in your fullness, of faithfully trusting you in the wilderness, knowing, Lord, that you already overcame temptation. We stand on that promise, Lord, that we will worship no other. serve you alone. Thank you for each one that made that commitment today. This morning, a second invitation while we still remain with our eyes closed, I just want to make this call that if, if you, something inside of your heart happened today where you want to respond to this call of worship, you want to lay down certain things in your life and say, Lord, I want to surrender it all unto you. I want to worship you fully. Help me to lay down certain things that are taking and consuming my time, my worship, that should be your worship. If you need strength in that area today, I want you to raise your hands. Yes, Lord, we thank you for every hand. You can put your hand down. Father, thank you for every hand that went up. So many of us standing in this place, Lord, just saying we need you. To surrender completely unto you, Lord. Help us to do that. Help us, Lord, to draw near to you with hearts bowed, irrespective of what's going on around us. I pray for each person who put their hand up, Lord, that you will strengthen them in whichever area or aspect of their lives they need strengthening in, Lord, to serve you more, to follow you wherever you lead to trust you. Lord, bring us back to that place of holy worship. Lord, bring your church back to that place where we worship you in spirit and truth, Lord, with hearts surrendered.
pray that as we leave this place tonight, that we will just be changed even a little bit more, Lord, just to, to draw near to you even deeper in our times of worship, in our devotional lifestyle, Lord. May our lives reflect the spirit and truth of worship. Wherever we go, Lord, may we carry that fragrance of worship in every situation, every circumstance, every conversation, Lord, wherever we find ourselves at.